Father in heaven, I can't even begin to thank you for being the awesome, compassionate, and loving God that you are. I thank you for the many aspects of your character and your grace that you have given to me over these past few months. You truly do answer prayers, but we're always remiss and hesitant to ask. But you are more than willing to answer. So I ask, Lord, for an extra special measure of your Holy Spirit right now, Lord. I don't want it to be me speaking. I want it to be you, and therefore, to your glory. I also ask for the Holy Spirit to be with each ear and mind that will hear, that if any of it resonates with them, that it might be something that interests them, that you will talk to them. Thank you so much for being a God who is so very patient, who is willing to do everything possible to get us to have that kind of relationship that you so desperately desire in us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you know God is constantly pursuing us? He's such a passionate God. He just loves us to death. And we kind of go through life, I've gone through life, kind of ho-hum and taking him for granted. Um, I knew lots of things. But there was just always something in my life that just wasn't quite right. And it started when I was in high school. And I'm going to kind of set the stage for this. Out of Ty Gibson's Shades of Grace, I'm going to share this. So it kind of sets the tone for what my experience was. And he would say in this, this is chapter 1, I'd start to feel those familiar but undefinable feelings until tears would well up inside me. I hated my world and felt completely out of place in it. I called them nameless tears. I experienced the same thing one night. I don't know what was wrong. Nothing catastrophic had happened. I hadn't had a girlfriend break up with me or anything like that. It's just like, I sense that I, there's really, really something wrong in my life. And there's a void, and I don't know how to fill it. So I did it probably for the first time in my life, and I asked God to show me himself. So I started going around to different churches and youth groups, I uh, didn't know much about Christianity. I was raised in a completely unchristian home. But one thing that I knew about this book was that it was something special about the Christian faith. The problem was the particular churches and groups, people speaking, they would speak about social apathy. They would talk about political uh, issues, I mean, this was back in the early 70s, late 60s. There was a lot of things going on as far as uh, what, what the world was all about. So anyway, lots of commentary there, but it didn't feel, feel the need I seemed to have. Well, I went to Riverside Community College and got some prerequisites, 
And I uh, applied to a school that I'd never heard of before, 10 miles away from Riverside where I grew up, Loma Linda University. Now, one of the things that's amazing is that you had to have letters of recommendation from people who apparently would, you know, vouch for you. Well, I did have some of those people, and lo and behold, they allowed me to come into their school, which is absolutely a miracle in of itself. And that's what's cool. God has a plan for us even when we don't know it. And way back then, he had a plan for me, and he knew exactly what I needed. The only exposure I had to Seventh-day Adventists prior to, to going there for the first day was that I had a good friend who on Saturdays we would sit out on his front porch and there was a Seventh-day Adventist church across the street. So we'd sit out there and just chew the fat and when church was over, all these beautiful women would come out there. I hate to say it, but that was a priority to me at the time. So um, that was my only exposure. Somehow, that was positive. <laughs> um, well, one of the, when I started going to school, one of the um, requisite courses you had to take was a religion course. Seven o'clock in the morning, I got up, which was really, really early for me, and I went to this class by an elder, Paul Hubeck, Now, he was a gentle, godly man. And I realized, this is what's missing in my life. So God spoke through that man to my heart. And I remember praying that, God, this is the life I want. I have no clue. There's no way I can do it on my own. I'm going to need some help here. So it wasn't too long after that that he gave me Jan. Now, I've probably shared this story before. I'm not going to bother to today, but God had his hand in that even. Um, one day we were, we started dating, and this one Sabbath, we were both really quiet. It's like it was obvious well, I knew I had something on my heart, and I knew she had something on her heart. Well, we had gone up to, uh, oh, I can't even remember, some falls above, uh, in the San Bernardino Mountains above Loma Melinda. What's that? Thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, we were just kind of quiet, and we went back down to her house, and we're kind of sitting there, and I can't remember which of us spoke first or not. It was probably Jan. But she was needing to tell me that she can't date me anymore because I'm not a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. What I had on my heart was that I want to study to become a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. And somehow she believed me. So uh, have any of you ever heard the name Arnold Trujillo? He was the president of the Hawaiian Conference forever. He was a youth pastor at the time. He was busy building a house in Redlands. So it was hard to get that guy to give me studies. So for well over a year, uh, we would get together and he would teach me 
the fundamental beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, so I would be ready for baptism. Well, I finally was baptized the Sabbath before the Sunday that Jan and I got married, September 7, 1975. Um, It still blows my mind that God has been so good to me to give me so many precious gifts throughout my life. And um, Jan has been used by God in so many ways and given her patience so many times um, that I can't even number them. So I'm thankful for the God to that. Well, I started studying, and we were engaged three months after we first dated. Kind of weird, huh? Well, the thing was, is because of some circumstances, I knew that she was the one. In fact, God told me so. Uh, in my head, when I was driving by her, he told me, you're going to marry that girl. And I had no idea who she was. And I told my brother, uh, who is that? Who has that? He says, oh, I think her name's Jan McIntosh. She's in x-ray school. So uncharacteristic of myself, I waited till I got back to Loma Linda because I was doing a class once a week because I took my training at White Memorial Hospital. And I waited till I got back. She was in her x-ray uh, clinical, and I waited till she came down uh, through a rotation. And then I asked her out. Well... I always felt like there was something not right in our marriage. I I felt like I'm not providing what Jan needs. I don't know what it is, but I know something's not quite right. And that something that was missing was a real relationship with Jesus. It was missing on my part. Being the spiritual leader of the house... I had no clue. I was never exampled it. I was taught all the things to believe. And I thought that's kind of where it's at, right? You know, you know about the, all the different doctrines and all that kind of stuff, but I never really truly, truly fell in love with Jesus. And I regret that. Well, I became an elder at age 32 in Cedarville, Washington. And I mention that not to boast, but to confess. I looked good on the outside, having the appearance of godliness, but denying the power thereof. I knew about Jesus. I didn't really know him. I didn't let him totally run my life. I was very self-dependent, self-reliant, prideful. The list goes on. It's because my heart wasn't submitted to him. I continued in that mode for many years, I'm ashamed to say. I went to church. I was engaged in Sabbath school classes. I served as an elder. Jan and I were both involved in the lower divisions with our children. We taught them to be good little Adventist kids. As the head of the household, I didn't leave my kids to a personal relationship with Jesus. I didn't have it. And that's what's so sobering 
we can't share, we can't impart what we don't have. There's no power in it. I subscribe to that age-old notion that I do my best and let Jesus do the rest. In other words, I did pretty much my own thing, and then I let Jesus know when I couldn't quite handle my things on my own, instead of being totally in control. God eventually showed me how disgusting that was. I want to ask your forgiveness, every one of you. Because when I would talk to any of you, I really didn't hear you with my heart because I didn't have a heart for God. I was busy, and Jan will confirm this, I was busy trying to figure out what I was going to say next. So I never could really connect with people. And that's pathetic. So I just want to ask your forgiveness because I missed out on so much. Um, There are so many precious, precious people in this church I want to share with you uh, some thoughts from Acts of the Apostles, page 567. As your soul yearns after God, you will find more and more of the unsearchable riches of his grace. As you contemplate these riches, you will come into possession of them and will reveal the merits of the Savior's sacrifice, the protection of his righteousness, the fullness of his wisdom, and his power to present you before the Father without spot and blameless. His power, his wisdom, not my own. God loves us so much that he allows us to go through some really gnarly stuff. Uh, I'm not going to share with you all the things that I've been through, uh, self-imposed, but God, in his mercy, allows us so that we'll draw back to him. I mean, you think about judges, How many times did uh, God allow them to go through just terrible things and they would repent and they would plead for God to uh, come back into their graces and he would bring them back in and the very next generation all over again go back to our own, serve other gods, um, make our children walk through the fire, all that stuff. Maybe you're going through some things right now. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe you're struggling to hang in there with God because of some outward things that are happening to you. Maybe these things seem to last forever. God desires a fully submitted heart that is totally dependent upon him. I want to give him all the glory, for I no longer want it for myself. I want to let him run all aspects of my life, not just the parts I'm willing to give him. That was hard, because I realized that without him, I can do nothing at all. And my pride and my self-reliance continually, continually got in the way of that. Another quote from Acts of the Apostles, the greatest praise that men can bring to God is to become consecrated channels through which he, whom he can work. T- 
time is rapidly passing into eternity. Let us not keep back from God that which is his own. Let us not refuse him that which, though I can't, it cannot be given with merit, it cannot be denied without ruin. He asks for a whole heart. Give it to him. It is his. Ye are not your own, for you are bought with a price, 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20 says. He asks us for a whole heart. Give it to him. It is his, both by creation and by redemption. He asks for your intellect. Give it to him. It is his. Uh, lost my place, sorry. <laughs> he asks for your money. Give it to him. It's his. We want to hold on to stuff like it's actually ours. We look down at people who aren't as fortunate as us, but actually, when God entrusts us with means, his money is to be used for things other than ourselves. We're so selfish. I can't remember how many times Oh, you know, God would call for this or for that. And instead of it burning in my heart to give back what is his anyway, I would just want to buy stuff. I'd want to do stuff. I'd want to have stuff. He convinced me that that's not too cool. I'm way too selfish. I'm so blessed to have Zach as my pastor. He's a man of prayer. And he has shared personal things that God has used to speak to my heart. Things as simple as when I wake up, think at least ten things, remember that, for which I am thankful. I started doing that, and it started changing my life. My days go so much better. Now it's easy to think about dozens of things at a time. A thankful heart is a submitting heart. In fact, I've shared that little practice with coworkers, and many of them have commented how much better their day goes if they start out with, instead of, I got to go to work, I hate that person, you know, I hear all kinds of things. But that thankful heart puts the Holy Spirit within us, and the day is completely different. I've shared before. I have one particular worker who's particularly challenging to work around. And I started praying for her, and people started noticing, when this person's working with you, they're actually in a good mood. What's going on? Well, I could give God all the credit, because God loves to answer prayers. It's changed my prayer life dramatically. I earnestly ask God to speak to me. I desperately needed to be submitted to him and to know his will and heed it. It's not enough to know what God's will is, is be willing to listen and then do what he asks. I wanted a heart that worked for God. I shared this a few months ago. One day when I was uh, getting some personal training with Corey, which he has uh, a real gift in that regard, I was just praying. And God, 
just wouldn't let me shut up to Corey about how awesome he is. And then he had me ask Corey, he says, Corey, would you like to do 40 days of prayer with me? I was thinking, you know, I'm an old guy. He's a young guy. We don't have anything in common. Well, God put him on my heart. And in obedience, I asked. And he said, yes. That has been such a blessing to me. Because we have become good friends. But I've also seen some changes in that young man's attitude towards God and attitude towards the church. And I pray that that continues on. That blessing I'll never forget. But I'm thankful because God told me to do it and I did it. I really felt like I didn't have the time, but we made time. You know, we didn't make it every night. There were times when he was off uh, visiting with his uh, little niece and things would go on and sometimes I was gone or sometimes our schedules didn't allow for us to actually get together because he was doing training and I was working. So, uh, but it was really cool because he made it a point not just, you know, okay, what are we going to do? He held us both accountable on occasion. So it encouraged me. So we did that 40 days of prayer, and I want to encourage those of you out there. Ask God who you, who he wants you to pray with. I've been through the 40 days of prayer now three times. And that's fine, because guess what? Every time I learn something new more fully about God's character. And another thing that was really cool is uh, Dennis Smith, who wrote the series. The first thing he asks us to do is pray for the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the only thing that accomplishes anything in our hearts. If God can get me linked up with someone like Corey, who had almost no connection, it was a wonderful experience because I was heeding God's word. I was doing something out of character, but in God's will. I might have dismissed it. I might not have been submitted enough to actually do it. Jan and I have had a prayer group going for many years. A long time ago, Pastor Myers started small groups. And ours, and I know of at least one more, uh, they've continued all these years. It's been such a blessing to us. It helps us to connect with those people within that group. And I would strongly urge you to get into some kind of a prayer relationship with others because two things happen. We're held accountable to do it when we don't feel like it, but we're always blessed. You know, sometimes we're going through stuff and we don't want to do it, but that's exactly when we need to do it because God involved in our issues and our problems is literally the only solution there is. Well, as, as many of you know, Jan and I, and with this group, and others of you, have prayed for the reconciliation of our family that was completely torn apart. 
Our son Nathan married a very broken young woman. She completely changed him, isolated him, controlled him. He used to be happy and extremely funny. That person went away. He had a completely flat affect. And pretty much, we just weren't in much contact at all. Um, He has four kids, and um, we very seldom, I think one time, tried to do a FaceTime so that we could see our kids as they were growing up because we weren't invited to come very often. And on those rare occasions when we were, it wasn't a particularly pleasant undertaking because of all the stuff that was going on continually. We were tolerated. But still, we got to see those little ones. We prayed for nine-plus years for he and his family. We knew that unless Jill, was his wife's name, could come to realize she did have a problem and only Jesus could fix her brokenness, the only thing that would bring back our son and reunite our family was a divorce. That's a terrible thing to pray for. But we prayed for God's will so that he could work out what he needed to. Our son began to talk with us and was sharing his very painful ordeal. His wife made many absolutely false accusations against him that some people actually believe they're so absurd as insane. But her intent was to ruin him so that he never, ever saw his children again. She came very close to accomplishing that. And had it not been for intercessory prayer by a lot of people, she would have accomplished that. She was able to financially ruin him, but that's another story I'm going to share. Um, About the middle of last December, our combined budget was having challenges. Now, when you see numbers that are getting going, and this is the first part of December, well, God convinced me, convicted me, that I should give a certain amount. And that was an extra check. Like a week or ten days later, he convicted me again. I want you to give three times that much again. And all he said to me in my mind was, it has something to do with taxes. I said, Okay, Lord. (laughs) So I wrote a check that was three times the size of the other one. And when we filed for income taxes, the exact amount that God asked me to give to the church came back to us in the form of a refund. You can't outgive God. So not only was the church blessed, But my son was blessed because we were able to give him that money because he was really in bad way. And I can only do give God praise and glory. And I'm thankful that I've been learning to heed his voice because now I hear his voice. You know how you can keep can read something many times 
and one day something hits you as never before? I'm going to share with you Matthew 7, 23. 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, that was a very dramatic and personal revelation, I guess you'd call it. Because God showed me, that's you, Don. That's you. Your pride, your arrogance, your self-reliance, they're detestable to me. And, yeah, I did all these things. I served as head elder. I did all these things. And, you know, but that means nothing to God if my heart is not totally submitted to him. I didn't know him. Well, in Fifth Testimonies, page 73, many have a name to live with while they become spiritually dead. This one will say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied your name and cast out demons and all this kind of wonderful works? And then I will profess to them, depart from me, you work of iniquity. Woe will be pronounced against thee. If thou loiter and linger until the sun of righteousness shall set, in other words, the end of time, the blackness of eternal night will be thy portion. Oh, that the cold, formal, worldly heart may be melted. Christ shed not only tears for us, but his own blood. Will not these manifestations of his love arouse us to deep humiliation before God? Is this humility and self-abasement that we need? It is humility and self-abasement that we need to be approved by God. The man whom God is leading will be dissatisfied with himself because the light from the perfect man shines upon him. But those who lose sight of the pattern and place an undue estimate of themselves will see faults to criticize in others. They will be sharp, suspicious, condemnatory. They will be tearing others down so that they might lift themselves up. When the Lord last presented your case for me, this is a testimony, and they're there for a reason, um, had made known to me that you had not regarded the light which had been given you. I was bidden to speak to you plainly in his name, for his anger was kindled against you. These words were spoken to me. Your work has appointed you of God. Many of you will not hear. But they refuse to hear the great teacher. Many will not be corrected, for their ways are right in their own eyes. Yet bear them the reproofs and warnings that I shall give you, whether they will be here or forbear. I bear you the testimony of the Lord. All will hear his voice who are willing to be corrected. And when those who have been deceived by the enemy are not willing to come to the light, lest their deeds shall be reproved. Many of you cannot discern the work and presence of God. You know not that it is he. 
the Lord is still gracious, willing to pardon all who turn to him with penitence and faith. Saith the Lord, many know not at what they stumble. They heed not the voice of God, but follow the sight of their own eyes and the understanding of their own hearts. Unbelief and skepticism have taken the place of faith. They have forsaken me. What really grabbed me, as I mentioned, is like, that's me. I mean, it just choked me. The realization that my pride and my arrogance, God was speaking directly to me about that. But the thing that was wild, the arrogance, if you think about it, they were challenging God in his judgment. They were so arrogant and so prideful that they dared to speak to God and say, hey, we deserve a place in heaven. We did this. We did that. We did all these things in your name. We deserve a place there. And then he says, I never knew you. That's what really grabbed me. Because knowing about God and knowing him personally, it's so different. It changes everything. Well, I finally got to the place in submitting to him, submitting my pride, my arrogance, and my self-sufficiency, which has taken a lot of, a lot of time and a lot of uh, contemplation. And I told God, I said, you know, if I'm not safe to save and to be in heaven with you, then that's okay. I'll still live for you and trust you. My life on this earth is still better with God in my life, even without the reward. Pastor Zach once more uh, had a, a call, a silent call, to go all in with Jesus. I made that commitment. It was one I took earnestly and had a sense of absolute necessity about. If I will but listen to God, God's creative works will teach us precious lessons of obedience and trust. From the stars that are in their trackless courses, through space from age to age, their appointed path, down to the minutest atom. Now here's a God who holds up billions of stars and galaxies, and they're there, and he holds them up. But he holds up everything else in place, the atoms, the nuclei, Everything's in order with God. He's got it all under control. Well, we're someplace between that atomic particle and the universe. Does he not have the same regard for us? God cares for everything and sustains everything that he has created. He upholds the unnumbered worlds throughout immensity. At the same time, cares for the wants of the little brown sparrows that sings this humble song without fear. When men go forth to their daily toil, as when they engage in prayer, when they lie down at night, and when they rise in the morning, when the rich man feasts in his palace, or when the poor man gathers his children about the scanty table, each is tenderly watched by the Heavenly Father. No tears are shed that God does not notice. No smile no, the, no smile that he does not mark in the books. 
If we would but fully believe this, all undue anxieties would be dismissed. Our lives would not be so filled with disappointment as now, for everything, whether great or small, would be left in the hands of God, who is not perplexed by the multiplicity of our cares or to which are overwhelmed by their weight. We should then enjoy a rest of soul to which many have long been strangers. That's from Steps to Christ, page 86. As your senses delight in the attractive loveliness of the earth, in other words, when you go out in nature, think of the world that is to come that shall never know the blight of sin and death, where the face of nature will no more wear the shadow of the curse. Let your imagination picture the home of the saved and remember that it will be more glorious than your brightest imagination can portray. In the very gifts of God, in nature, we see but the faintest gleaming of his glory. It is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them who love them. When I had my total knee surgeries in March and at the end of May, I had a lot of pain. There were times I couldn't stand it. I was losing it. I would lay there, sit there, whatever. I couldn't get away from it, no matter what. The thing I could do was start praising God and pray to him and confess to him. So there was developed a a routine in... in, uh, Eventually, where I would go to sleep at 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and I would get up at 7 or 8. If I got to sleep till 8 o'clock, I was good. I would go outside in the backyard, and uh, that's about when the temperature was about right for me to go sit out in the sunshine and get some fresh air. I would listen to my daily Bible verses. Um, I was on a day, day, daily reading. I would listen to those. I would read something in God's word that would inspire me, and then I spent a lot of time praying. Lots of thanksgiving, praise, and adoration. The feeble start, uh, feeble start of coming to God with just ten things and thankful turned into hundreds. And for a long time, it would please God more to thank him in faith than he has already answered that prayer. Have you ever asked? and ask, and ask, and ask. Can you imagine God said, okay, I heard your prayer. I'm working on it. I think God would rather have us claim in faith an answer to that prayer. Because if we keep asking, at least in my thinking, is that we don't trust God to do it. we got to keep reminding him, hey, i got this problem. You need to fix it. He already knows what we need, like the story said, before we even need it. So praise God, thank him in faith, and then sit back and rest about it. Have perfect peace. I had to convince or confess that self was my God. Breaks the first commandment right there. So the rest of them, it doesn't even matter. My pride, condemnation, self-righteousness, self-confidence, self-reliance, all that self was involved. It must have made God sick. 
He showed me that I had not given myself over to him, and I confessed it. I shared a few weeks ago that I got to the place that I wanted all in with Jesus in my life. And what a rush that is. I can't even wait to see what he's going to do next, but I know he's going to do some amazing things in my life. As I mentioned, we, when we would pray, Corey and I, the first thing we would pray for is the Holy Spirit. And guess what? Those fruits are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Are these not good things? Does he not want us to have it? In these sleepless nights, I use the time, most of it, to pray. Many of you were beneficiaries of that prayer. I know I have been. Speaking of prayer, Jan and I pray together often. I can tell you men, there is nothing more precious, more intimate, more loving than to hold my wife and pray with her. Sometimes she would share some concerns she has, or you know, often it would center around our kids, as you might imagine. Um, but it would bring us together in a way that I can't even begin to understand. And it also gave us a unity in trusting God, knowing that he will take care of things. We can encourage one another about that, because sometimes we have questions, we have doubts. I would invite you men to do that with your wives. You will never forget it. I love that we take lots of things to God so he can answer those prayers, and I can't wait to know how he's going to answer them. I just want to confess I love Jesus with all of my heart. I have given everything to him, and I can't even begin to tell you how hard that was. But God has accomplished that. And um, sometimes I would ask him literally for a hug. Now, many of you know I like to hug. I like to give hugs, and I like to get hugs. Well, there are times when I'm by myself. I was a lot of times. Jan would be at work, and I'm just like, you know, laying there like a lump. And I needed some affirmation. So I would ask God, literally, Lord, I need a hug. And I could physically sense that he wrapped his big old arms around me, and it would send the hairs on the back of my head straight up because I knew he was there. And he would affirm me, knowing that he was there. I wanted to share something with you. It's from Maranatha, page 100. Will not our church member keep their eyes fixed on a crucified and risen Savior in whom their hopes of eternal life are centered? This is our message, our argument, our doctrine, our warning to the impenitent, our encouragement for the sorrowing, the hope of every believer. If we can awake the interest in men's mind that will cause them to fix their eyes on Christ, we may step aside 
and ask them only to continue to fix their eyes upon the Lamb of God. He whose eyes are fixed on Jesus will leave all. He will die to selfishness. He will believe in all the word of God, which is so gloriously and wonderfully exalted in Christ. Um, it's, it never ceases to amaze me. Um, God would prepare me for sometimes I would get news and it's not going to be good. And he would just encourage me so that whatever was going to come doesn't have the effect it could have were I not submitted to him. I was gone from work from March 22 to August 8th a really long time. Well, I got told that as of July 1st, I'd been gone too long. So my position was terminated. I was fired. I didn't have a job. (laughs) Now, being unsubmitted and unprepared, that might have freaked me out just a little bit. I mean, there's not many specialty jobs like I have in this whole region. So I could have thought about, Lord, who would hire a 65-year-old man? Who would hire me anyway because there's no jobs available anyway? So I could have had all those questions, all those doubts, but not one, not one thought ever crossed my mind or my heart. I knew God had a future for me and that I could completely trust him about it. I didn't know what it was, but I knew. Well, I uh, went to see my surgeon the 25th of July, and I got a return to work slip for the August 8th. Well, they welcomed me back with open arms. I'm very thankful. But I just can't even begin to tell you how awesome it is when you don't have to have those concerns anymore. Lord, why would you do this? Why would you allow this? Well, he wants us to trust him. I'm here to testify that God is good all the time in every situation. What I've had to do is change my perspective about God. I loved the three-part series that Pastor Jack just did these past three weeks about Job. Because it reminded me that, you know, we have a problem about how we think about God. And Job kind of personifies that. So he had these three friends, right? They were righteous and They were really smart guys and highly intellectual and very religious, very pompous. And they would go to Job and say, dude, you must have really done something bad. And Job says, no, I haven't. He says, let me get before God and I'll talk to him about it. Just give me the chance. Their philosophy, their perspective about God is much like many of us have. If things good happen... It's because we deserve it, right? We work hard. Well, if bad things happen, then we must have done something to displease God. That's messed up. And God says so in the rest of the book of Job. Those were not his friends. They were being used by the other side. God does allow us to go through things. Sometimes we deserve them. Sometimes they just happen. God blesses us is because um, it is all to the contrary that 
God loves us and is crazy about us that he allows certain things to happen. Because guess what? If you get completely winded going to your mailbox, how on earth would you ever consider going out and running a marathon? What has to happen? Lots of preparation. That's what God's doing us with the trials he allows us to have. That's why Paul says we need to be thankful for those trials because it's supposed to teach us to be completely dependent upon God. So who can stand if if we get freaked out about a little thing like, "Ah, I don't have a job, how in the world are we going to be able to stand against the most terrible day this earth has ever seen? He's preparing us to trust him and to trust him more. So that's what he's all about. We're to give God our total trust and faith because that's what he wants from us. That's what I want to give him. John twelve thirty two says, if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. In other words, if we point people towards Jesus, he'll draw men to himself because he is properly, properly, properly represented as the God of this world to save and not condemn. If we could show people that kind of a God, it would be much more appealing. Oh, I'm going to share one more story. When Nathan came down for Mother's Day, it was on a Sabbath, and I was still recovering from my surgery, but I drove up with my ice machine going all the way up to Oakland. I picked him up, and the whole time I was praying and submitting. And when I picked him up, we just grabbed each other, and we just started crying. Nameless tears. (laughs) So when I got in, to the car and I started driving him home, I was so constrained to ask for his forgiveness. For what? For not showing him how to love Jesus. I was remiss his whole growing up time. He knew the 2300-day prophecy. He knew all about Revelation. He knew about the state of the dead. He knew all those things. He had all the intellectual knowledge that were taught. But he didn't have an example. He didn't have an example in his dad of what true and complete dependence upon Jesus is really like. Because it wasn't there until very recently. Well, I can't remember if it was Saturday night or Sunday night, but um, we engaged in a conversation. We probably spoke till 1.30 at night, I can't remember. And he shared some concerns he had about our church. He brought up some very valid points. Anybody aware of a split that's going on because of female ordination? There's two complete, oppositely, diametrically opposed perspectives. That we talked about the fact that Satan just creates distractions. And so when we're distracted on something that we think is good, we're wrong. We, could be, we should be about Jesus' work, about sharing people the love of Jesus, not who's right and who's wrong on things like that. It's very distracting. He talked about how we tend to um, relate to gays and lesbians. He thinks 
in his mind, we totally condemn them. We don't want to be anywhere near them. We don't want them any near, near us. And I shared with him, um, let's see. Well, I think I'll, uh, I'll let that go. <laughs> anyway, we're talking about in Corinthians, where he says that God does not impute our sins to us while we're still on this earth, that someday, on that day of judgment, he will. So we discussed, and there again, this is my perspective. If you don't agree, that's fine. But um, I believe that what it says, that God does not impute um, the sins against those people, is because the judgment hasn't come yet. Probation has not been closed. And we're all in that same boat. So while we're not judged, those people who are contrary to, um, to what God has to say, including us, that we have a chance to really fall in love with Jesus. And then we would even care what God has to say about certain things. And then if we do care, then that's our opportunity to either decide what we're going to do with it, we're going to reject it, or we're going to allow it to change our lives. I remember praying, a lot of people praying about our teachers. Now, that was okay in April. It's like, yeah, we'll pray, we'll pray. Well, God has kind of a flair for the dramatic, doesn't he? He wants to know, do we trust him? So he could have done something in April. He chose not to. Then it got to May and June and then July. And many of us were praying that the people on the school board, the um, people in the conference office, won't just settle because we're running out of time. we got to fill that spot. Well, God knows who's supposed to be there. So when I met um, Obed and uh, Veronica, I told her, we've been praying for you for months. And God answered that prayer. And that's one thing we prayed was like, we not just not rush to something that we allow God to work in his time and in his way. God has good thoughts for our future, and he is sure because of who he is, not because of what I do. It's all about what you know, but who you know, Jesus. I have absolutely no regrets letting him have everything. Now he is my everything, and nothing by God's grace will I ever try to do on my own without seeking him first. If you've held back letting God be in complete control of your heart and life, please consider going all in with Jesus. He knows the end from the beginning. Can we not trust him with our lives, with our futures? If you knew who, uh, what horse was going to win on a certain race, I mean, you knew what was going to happen. Would you not have a little bit more confidence were you to put a bet on it? That's God. He's a good bet. He's a sure thing because he's in charge and he knows. He has, he loves us and he has only the best for us. God is awesome. If you allow him, 
he will change your life forever. There will never be a moment where you're anxious. And that's what he says, you'll be anxious for nothing. So I invite you to consider that even though it's hard to let God completely have your life. Let's bow our heads. Lord God in heaven, I thank you for the many experiences that you've given me in how to go all out, all in with you, and what a dramatic change it has made in my life. I thank you and I praise you for your goodness. And I ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit fill this place, fill each ear that have heard my testimony to see if it might be something that is appealing to them. We thank you that you love us so much that you would give us all. In Jesus' name, amen.